Welcome to the Pursuing Faith Podcast, where we explore questions of faith, doubt, and life. I am your host, Dominic Doan. Well, hey, everyone, and welcome to this episode of Pursuing Faith. I am really, really excited for you to hear this episode. Um, I'm recording it from the beautiful home of Sally and Clay Clarkson. Uh, They were super gracious, invited me over, had a cup of tea, enjoyed some amazing conversations, and then sat down to record this podcast. And for those of you who don't know them, uh, Sally and Clay Clarkson are the founders of Whole Heart Ministries, a nonprofit that serves Christian families worldwide. Um, They've written 32 books, including a book that's coming out next month, which is about the power of words. That'll be the topic of our conversation today. And their podcasts have reached millions and millions of people all around the world. They're some of the kindest, most loving people you'll ever meet. So today's podcast episode, I really hope and pray that it's an encouragement to you. But before we get into it, I I just want to say real quick, a huge thank you to those who help support Pursuing Faith through your prayers, through giving. As you know, this is a listener-supported ministry. And here at Pursuing Faith, it has been an incredibly busy last couple of months. Uh, We've been all over the place, York, England, uh, Southern England, speaking at a festival. Uh, We were in Austria, working with Ukrainian refugees uh, in Oregon, Uh, Rock Harbor Church in California. Uh, We've been teaching at conferences and churches, nonprofits. And and as I mentioned earlier, uh, some of the most intense work we've been up to lately is working with those who have fled the war situation in Ukraine. And, And even though it's been an intense couple of months, we have seen the Lord do so much. Uh, we've seen people come back to faith. Uh, people give their life to Jesus for the first time. You know, Paul in Colossians 4, he wrote, Pray for us too, that God may open a door for our message, so that we may proclaim the mystery of Christ, for which I am in chains. Pray that I may proclaim it clearly as I should. And you know, that that is our prayer here at Pursuing Faith. Um, we, we are seeing right now God open up all kinds of doors, doors that we, we never expected to open. And, and we're really excited to see how God is continuing to build this ministry and use this ministry to reach lives around the world. So if you want to see what we're up to, uh, if you want to see where we're speaking next, if you want to partner with us, go to our website, pursuingfaith.org. Well, as you know, in this season, we've been in this conversation about how our souls can flourish in difficult times. And in this conversation with Sally and Clay Clarkson, we talk about their new book and the power of words to bring about flourishing in our lives, in the lives of our kids, in relationships. So fasten your seatbelts. I really, really hope you enjoy this episode. Really, really excited for this conversation and to discuss this beautiful new book. But first, let me just say um, thank you for inviting me into your home. (laughs) And uh, thank you, too, for the impact uh, you've had on our lives personally. Um, My wife was telling me the other day that no other Christian thinker or author or writer has had such an impact wow. on you. Wow, And I, yeah, so it's, it's such an honor just to, to sit down with you guys. And thank you too for uh, your vulnerability and just sharing your story and the wisdom that you bring uh, through your podcast, through your writing. And uh, it seems like to me this conversation was inevitable because <laughs> and I'm actually surprised it hasn't happened uh, many years before because we have so many mutual friends, mutual publisher, all of that. And we've also lived in some of the same uh, cities throughout the Internationally, world. Internationally, right? which yeah. is Internationally. crazy. Really weird. Yeah. Uh, when Elisa and I first got married, we moved to Vienna. Mm-hmm. And you spent you spent time there. Mm-hmm. Uh, we're recording this uh, near Colorado Springs. And uh, 
You're also on your way to Oxford. Mm-hmm. <laughs> so I'd love just to hear a little bit about your backstory and uh, how you got here, uh, what your ministry is about for those who aren't familiar with your work. Okay, great. Clay and I uh, both became believers when we were in college, and um, in two different colleges, actually. Before This was way before we really knew each other. And we were impacted by uh, just the life of Christ, his his love, his uh his goodness, just the um, organic life of Christ with the relationships with his disciples. And um, to follow up with that, we went on staff with a, a student organization, and then we both ended up overseas uh, working in the International Chapel in Vienna, where we had 40 different nations in our church. And um, I had worked for several years in communist countries in Eastern Europe. And so we came into marriage and parenting with a real focus on what it looked like to mentor and disciple our own disciples, our children. We, we brought all of the ministry training we'd had into our family and into our home. And as a matter of fact, when we moved back from overseas to America, uh, we saw family was really falling apart. So I, Clay and I are very intuitive, and I don't know if it's you or me or what, but we decided that we wanted to spend our life um, making messages, encouraging, inspiring, um, helping teach and instruct parents how to leave a godly heritage, how to have an impact on their children for Christ that their children would take to generations to come. Yeah, and I think after we did come back from overseas, we were in a couple of church situations that were helpful and good, but along the way we were just developing developing these convictions about family mm-hmm. and about the messages that we wanted to have. And so all that rolled toward uh, when we found ourselves in, in 1994 uh, after some time in Nashville and uh, got back to uh, a little piece of property where my mom and brother lived in central Texas and just really stepped back and prayed for a year about uh, what we wanted to do. And that that time then, a year later in 94, became uh, whole heart ministries, which is okay. then what we've been doing ever since. Uh, and basically uh, giving help and hope to Christian parents to raise wholehearted children for Christ. And so that's kind of been what we've tried to do in a number of different ways and a number of different ministry initiatives uh, ever since. We've written a whole bunch of books and we've hosted um, conferences all over the world because we love the one-on-one mm. where we can see people face-to-face and in groups. And so uh, it, it's just continued to grow and grow. And we do podcasts and we work overseas. And it's just kind of one of those really exciting ways that the Lord has allowed us many venues where we get to encourage people. Mm. And tell me, tell me about the Oxford connection. So oh. <laughs> what, what's bringing you back to Oxford, which is the city of my birth. So I'm slightly biased uh, oh. towards it. I was actually born in the, the Radcliffe hospital Are you? yeah oh, my goodness. Uh, so i am very jealous that you're, oh. you're heading there next next week right yes next monday yes um we absolutely love oxford i think that we read our children too many books from c.s lewis and tolkien and mcdonald and right. <laughs> all the people um but uh we i moved to oxford clay came back and forth a, a few years ago when our first daughter said i i have this incredible um scholarship to be able to get my master's degree, master's of theology. She had already graduated from Oxford undergraduate at at, um, Oxford University, but I have this baby that's coming. Could you just come and babysit two mornings a week, and then you can do your work the rest of the week? So we moved there. I moved there for a year, and then uh, the Lord just continued to bless our time there. We started, we actually had multiple mom's conferences in the U.K., in uh, London and Edinburgh and, and all sorts of places. And um, so I thought, oh, I would love to come back here and keep working. And so we spent, we were actually got another visa and um, we spent two more years there. And now uh, I get to, it, it's kind of a miracle, really. Um, I ran into a guy in the middle of the street and within five minutes, <laughs> he had offered me a, um, a job and a visa for the next five years. <laughs> <laughs> so I, I get to go back and um, go to all my favorite places and walk the cobbled streets mm. and talk to great people. I just love the people, the school, the um, walking lifestyle, and I, I'm just excited. Oh, Come yeah. visit us. <laughs> oh, have you been to the kilns? 
Oh, oh I've, I've slept at the Kills. Times. You have? Yeah. Okay. <laughs> we probably have another mutual friend. Uh, uh, he he lived there in, in 2010 to 2012 and hmm. was one of the tour guides at, at the right. Kills. Yeah. And, uh, I remember him showing me around and, oh, this is where he wrote this book and this is what inspired that. Yeah. Right. What's your favorite Lewis book? I'm curious. Well, I, I guess because I read it 10 million times to my kids, I like the Chronicles of Narnia. Mm-hmm. I would have to say this. And, um, yeah. I, I love, uh, other ones too. I, I love The Great Divorce. And, yeah. Um, we were just talking about Paralandra yesterday, but, um, I think I love the uh, way that, uh, my children were all inspired. Yeah. We even have a picture of Aslan in our living room. You'll have to you see do. it before <laughs> okay. you go. <laughs> it's actually an ancient Victorian, um, print, but we call him Aslan. Okay. So. <laughs> have you read Till We Have Faces? Yes. I've yeah. just been yeah. revisiting yeah. that. Yeah. Before we started this podcast, we were talking about an apologetic of beauty. Beauty, and yeah. That, that book has so much to well, offer. Well, now I'm going to go back and read it. Yeah. Yeah. There's this, it's one of my favorite lines by Lewis is in that book. Uh, he says, I now know, Lord, why you utter no answer. Mm. You are yourself the answer. Mm. Before your face, all questions die away. What other answer would suffice? I love nice. that. I, yeah. Can I, I steal it so from you and use it on my oh, podcast? Oh, absolutely. <laughs> <laughs> so, okay. We're, we're here not to, although we could talk about Lewis for hours, mm-hmm. but we're here to talk about this incredible book that I was, uh, so thankful to, to get um, advanced copy of yesterday <laughs> and uh, spend some time just going through it. It is, first of all, beautifully written. Mm. And uh, for all who are listening, I sure hope you can pick it up because it's coming out in October. And the name of the book is called Giving Your Words, The Life-Giving Power of a Verbal Home for Family Faith Formation. Mm. Uh, let's talk about this book. Mm. Um <laughs> There is so much, so much power to what we say, uh, specifically when it comes to our family, when it comes to raising our kids. But I think this is even broader than that. Mm-hmm. Friendship and yeah. marriage and relationships. Um, I was reading earlier today, this guy named Rabbi uh, Yehuda Berg, and he had this line. He said, words have energy and power mm-hmm. with the ability to help, to heal, to hinder, to hurt, to harm, <laughs> to humiliate, to humble. The list goes on. Um it's why the book of James has so much to say, or the book of Ecclesiastes says, do not be quick to your, with your mouth. Mm-hmm. Uh, do not be hasty in your heart to utter anything before God. And then I love this line, God is in heaven, you are on earth, so let your words be few. Be few. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> it reminds me of that quote, uh, it's better to be silent and thoughtful than to open your mouth yes, and remove all Yes, even a fool seems out. to be wise. Right, he yeah. Keeps his mouth closed. <laughs> yeah, so... There is power in what we say. There's power in what we don't say as well. Um, Proverbs 18.21 says, the power of life and death mm-hmm. is in the tongue. Um, I love how in the beginning of this book, and it was so thoughtful, um, you, you essentially lay out a theology of words. Mm-hmm. Uh, and the Bible has a lot to say about words. Um, mm-hmm. So would, would you want to unpack that for us? W- what is a good scriptural understanding of our words? Well, I'll just start. I think where this, the concept of the book came from, giving your words, uh, we've been in ministry for so long now and done so many conferences, uh, over a period of 25 years or so. And inevitably someone after the con- conference would come up and ask us, what was the secret to your parenting? What did you do? You know, they want the one thing. The one- and for a long time, you know, I had kind of some stock answers, uh, that weren't real satisfying to me and it probably weren't to them either, but tried to answer the questions. But it finally occurred to me what that secret was. And it had to do with words and it had to do more, more than just words. Just do I have the right words to give? It was the idea that, uh, of a verbal home and that, that concept of, of kind of, it's like the parable of the sower. I talk about in the book that, that, uh, the picture there is creating good soil in the mm-hmm. heart. And so we wanted to create good soil in our home. And that soil come is enriched by words. Uh, it's uh, our words, the words of scripture, beautiful words, good words, all the, uh, what God has given us in this ability to have language and to speak, uh, to one another's words. So that was, that was where this idea of, uh, of giving your words, uh, play on the idea of give your word, but it's give it's we're really giving, giving our words to our children as a gift, as something yeah. that's going to not just 
form them, but hopefully transform them, that those words are going to play a, a big role in who they become. So, so the theology that you're talking about kind of started out with that. How do you know? And, and you go back to even Genesis and Genesis one mm-hmm. and God did not have to say a word to speak all of creation into existence. He could have thought it, boom, it's there. Uh, but we have the record of what he did as he spoke it into creation. Yeah. Let there be light. And these two Hebrew words, uh, 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 let there be light, and, mm-hmm. and there was, and so forth. So from the very beginning of creation, this idea of language uh, is right there. And you go through, I, I don't have time to unpack you know, that whole chapter on the uh, kind of a, a, a mini theology of words. It's a compact one. Uh, but uh, you see this idea of words cropping up all throughout, and it comes up uh, particularly again in the, in the Shema, in De- Deuteronomy 6, that that uh, God gives to the uh, people of Israel before they go in, into the promised land. So, And then on and on throughout the Old Testament and into the New Testament, and there you have Jesus as the Logos, the, the Word uh, of God. Uh, so it's really all through there, and it's putting on glasses, I think, to see them, to see those 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 uh, words on on God's word in Scripture, and then trying to put them together. And that's what we were trying to do in the book. I think what I would add to that is that um, it's not about a legalistic uh, list of words. If you say these words, right. then you will have an impact. But we really believe that Christ was relational, as as the Word become flesh. And as he was loving and serving and washing feet and embracing children and, um, you know, telling the winds and the sea to be quiet, um, his, his life and his transcendency and his beauty, um, in, in really embodied words. So it was his words and his relationship. And I, I really think that relationships are built on uh, words of affirmation, words of understanding, words to tell each other our secrets. And and so uh, we really kind of saw a marriage between not just words and messages, but words and messages as tools of relationship, mm-hmm. as tools of teaching and inspiration. And uh, I kind of was like, Clay, so many people say, we know your children. How did you do it? And um I think that people want a formula, but I think that as I look at the life of Christ, his life was over years that he was investing his words. And little by little, they were being stored up in the memory and in the hearts and the minds of people to such an extent that they then wrote books about him. Um, but we really saw that to have a, a, a sense of passing on your words, it requires a relationship over much time many different situations where the words begin to almost speak to each other and and form a life, a vision, a foundation for thinking, an understanding of God. Um, You know, we look at the stars and we say, can you imagine the God who threw these into place and the angels were singing? Those are words that transform a life. It's not a legalism. It is an inspiration. Because in this season on our podcast, we've been talking about this idea of flourishing and how that has that is God's vision for our soul from the very beginning. But it began with words, mm-hmm. as, as you mentioned, let there be, let there be, and life was. And you have this beautiful image in the book of Genesis of all of creation thriving and blooming and flourishing as God intended. And then Genesis 2-7, God breathed into Adam and Eve and they became living souls. Mm-hmm. The word living there, it's actually a picture of a garden or a flower that, mm-hmm. that's flourishing. And our words, what we say, um, it, it it's like we're cultivating something, right? right? We're, we're gardens and, and the life. We're subduing. We're bringing yes. beauty out of chaos. In, in the, in, yes, yeah. absolutely. And I think there's something inbuilt in us to appreciate the wonder of words. It's why, as you mentioned, the first chapter, I believe, um, 
you know, how a child's first words are right. so impactful. Mm-hmm. I think you mentioned Sarah, your daughter. Right. Her first word was Buppy. Buppy. Yeah, Buppy. Right. <laughs> Buppy. Dog. Next door dog. dog. No, 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 Mama. <laughs> that, that made me laugh. Because <laughs> uh, our daughter, uh, Amelia, uh, her first word was iPod. Oh. <laughs> which probably well? which probably says a thing or two about our parenting skills. Oh, that's really funny. I probably should have started reading your book 17 years ago. Um, <laughs> but we, we all intuitively know that words have power. Mm-hmm. Words have meaning. Um, there, there's something incarnational about mm-hmm. words, John right. 1 1. Um, and, and you also there's this idea that you just mentioned uh, Sally about how it's the gradual accumulation of words. Mm-hmm. Um, that you, you mentioned this wonderful quote uh, by the Greek Platonist Plutarch. Oh, yes. <laughs> <laughs> I'll just read it. He said, the mind does not require filling like a bottle, but rather like wood. It only requires kindling uh, to create an, an impulse to think independently and an ardent desire for the truth. Um, you also mentioned the great Shema, um, which mm-hmm. is Deuteronomy 6.4. Hear, O Israel, the Lord our God is one. The Lord is one. Uh, you shall love the Lord your God. And every, every Christian knows this with all your heart, your soul, your mind, your strength. But we often miss the next the verse. The next place <laughs> is always taught. <laughs> and that actually struck me yesterday because he says, these words shall be on your heart and you shall teach them to your children. You shall talk of them. So we all know the first part. Yeah. Love the Lord your God. Absolutely. But then he says, I want you to talk about it. Mm-hmm. Um, and you point out that Moses, he uses the word, for, for teaching, talking, uh, it actually literally means to sharpen. Right. So, yeah, how do our words sharpen the spiritual formation of our children? And what should the grid of this spiritual formation look like? Yeah, I, I think it's an interesting <clears throat> passage there because he says that we are – typically is translated diligently teach, which is probably an okay. But if you look up the etymology of the word – uh, the first meaning is to sharpen or to whet, and it's only used the one time for teach, at least in my translation he- here in, in Deuteronomy. But if you want to pull that imagery back in, and it's used uh, metaphorically elsewhere, uh, really what I think what what uh, what that passage is saying is that uh, we are to diligently and kind of repeatedly uh, sharpen, continue. You know, our children are this block of of uh, metal or mm. or whatever we're talking it could be stone whatever whatever and our role as parents is to start knocking off and sharpening the parts of them to help them uh, respond to God and that's something we have to do diligently how do we do that Moses goes on to say by talking to them mm. you know that's how he that's the first thing he says that that we are to do so I just find that an interesting picture uh, that uh, our, our, our teaching role with children. And interestingly, uh, Moses uses the typical word for teach earlier, but here it's deliberate. He uses this unusual word. And I think it's instructive that we're not just pouring words into our children. Mm-hmm. That's not, and I think a lot of what we were talking about earlier, a lot of parents want to approach it as a formulaic approach. They want, they want a formula. They want something. Just tell me what to do, what to say, and I'll be okay. And what we're really trying, what faith formation is, is it's cre- it's it's much more than that. It's creating an environment, an atmosphere, soil, as the mm-hmm. sower says. And in this case, it's about being a sharpener, wetting our children, helping them become sharp for God in a way that only a parent can do. Mm-hmm. And so that's a uni- I think that's what he's saying here to the people of Israel is as you're going in, you need to be taking on that role. It's an inter interactive role uh, with your children, uh, talking to them. And that's the first thing you need to do is, is you're talking to them and sharing the commandments and talking about God and making that a part of everyday life. I think, too, it's so important for parents to understand that children were pre-wired to want to learn. Mm-hmm. Um, there's a, many articles that say that the average four-year-old asks 100 questions a day. And the reason they ask questions, you know, why, why is the sun yellow instead of black? Why, you know, does our puppy dog, you know, whatever. Um, it's because they were made to know. And so those who inform the desire to know inside of children in a way that they embrace truth and then they embrace virtue, 
you know, we narrate life to them. Mm. Um, we say to them, and they each have different personalities, different contexts. That's why it can't be a formula. And, um, you know, we had two introverts and two extroverts. And um, I think if we look at the life of Jesus, he, he narrated to Peter, you are the rock. And um, then to Thomas, he said, you are a man in whom there's no guile. He said different words to captivate their imagination of, well, maybe I am a rock. You know, maybe I'm going to be a lawyer someday. I'm the guy who tells the truth. And he narrated a picture to them of what potential they had within their lifetime. And we kind of found that to be something that we did with our children, that we would we would look inside of them. You know, oh, my goodness, your music is going to change the world someday. But again, children were made to know, made to learn, made to stand on the impressions that they were first given as children. Oh, I, th- that thought too about the power of questions. Yes, I mean that was that was Jesus' primary mode mm-hmm. of how he raised disciples. Yes. I, I read somewhere once that Jesus asked over three hundred questions yeah, <laughs> of, yeah. of his followers: uh, "Who do you say I am?" Or I think the leading question of the Gospel of John is, "What do you want?" <laughs> That's a really good question. Yeah, what do you want? Um, questions they strip away our defenses. They open our eyes to dimensions that we've never considered or, or discovered. Mm-hmm. Um, you may remember the story of Isidore Isaac Ribby. Uh, in 1944, he discovered the nuclear magnetic resonance theory. Mm-hmm. Um, and he ended up winning a Nobel Prize because of that. Someone once asked him, they said, what made you so successful? I mean, you've done all these things. You've accomplished so much. <laughs> you've made these scientific discoveries. And he attributed his success to the way that his mother greeted him hmm. when when he came home from school. Because most mothers would ask their kids, you know, did you learn anything today? But she would always ask him, did you ask a good question today? Oh, good for her. The, the power of questions, right, to, to shape our lives. Mm-hmm. Um, and I think that's what Jesus has done for us. And that, that's what you're saying with with our words. And that actually is a mode, a, a way that our words can help shape their formation. Um, well, and, and we want them to exercise their um, mental muscles. Mm. And they do that through questions. I mean, I, I think that probably the most profound thing we did, if there's any formula, it's that we ate dinner every night. And um, we um, we would, Clay would ask a question, I would ask a question, well, what do you think? Well, how do you evaluate his life? What would you have done? And we wanted them to exercise their mental capacity so that the rest of their lives, they would look at any source of information and ask a question. Is this true? Does it make sense? Um, how can it help me? How can I help someone else? And so our children just grew up um, knowing that no question was mm. disallowed. Uh, their questions weren't a sign of um, their lack of faith. Their questions were a sign of the fact that they wanted to know more. Absolutely. Yeah, there, there's a hunger. There's a longing in their lives. And those those questions reveal that. And I, I love too how you, you talk about how our words, they're not only shaping their future, and we'll talk about that in a second, but it, it's shaping their perception, our kids' right. perception of who God is. Right. Uh, you mentioned the transcendentals. Right. Um, the, the medieval theologians, they, they use the phrase, you know, God's uh, attributes, mm-hmm. um, which is the true, the good, the beautiful. And because we're made in God's image, these are qualities that we all desire, we, we pursue and we chase after. Um, our words are not only shaping our kids' future, but they're also shaping how they see God. Mm-hmm. How they relate to God, Mm -hmm. how they pray to God. Um, What recommendations would you have for parents (laughs) as they're trying, you know, whether their kid's two years old or 22 years old, where do we begin in helping our kids see God for who he is? It's true, but beautiful. I love that you mentioned his attributes Mm. um, because I think that uh, one of the attributes that uh, we really focused on was that God is forever and everlastingly loving, that um, he's a servant leader who laid his life down for us, who would do anything to redeem us. And so as we were going to our children, we thought, how can we depict both through our words and actions that God loves them so that when they're 15, 16, 17 years old (laughs) and they're insecure, that they'll believe in the love of God. So 
Um, you know, we're as we're holding them, we're kissing them and saying, you are adorable. God made you such an amazing person. Or we, we love the person that you are. Um, you know, we're singing a song to them. We're giving them the impression of our love and our words of love so that they will have a model of what God's love is like. And I think that um, we were talking about this a little bit earlier, but I think that our lives have to bear witness to the words that we believe. Um, we can't, uh, if, if we believe that God is loving, then our children need to watch us be loving. If um, if we believe that, that God is merciful and compassionate, then when we're out in the world, they need to watch us have compassion on people who are having a difficult time or people who are angry. They need to watch us display the God of the words that we gave to them. And um, so that's why Clay and I really wanted it to be organic, as I said, you know, incarnational, that, that who we became, our kids caused us to become um, more excellent because we wanted to be accountable to them for them seeing us and hearing our words and shaping within their imagination a life that was both good and holy and beautiful and precious and fun and we, we kind of embraced the words that we were saying as maybe the foundation for what we needed to become in our lives. I think the idea of the good, the true, and beautiful is really helpful because as humans, we have to, we need some categories to think about, you know, and, and, and those kind of help us to think about, well, are, are my words good? Are they true? Are they beautiful? But one of the passages that I really like and I come back to, for, I, I really think the parable of the Sawyer is a parenting uh, pa- parable. Yes. <laughs> That's my personal little, but uh, because really he's at the very end, he says, he talks, he's talking about the seed, which is the gospel. Yeah. And he says in verse 15, but the seed of the, the seed in the good soil, uh, these are the ones who heard the word in an honest and good heart and hold mm-hmm. it fast and bear fruit with perseverance. And he uses two words for two Greek words for good there, kalos and agathos, one being kind of an ethical goodness, one being an aesthetical goodness. So you have this idea of not only, uh, ethical goodness, which can be truth as well as just pure goodness and and then you have this aesthetical goodness which is beautiful. so all of a sudden you're getting this picture that okay the reason we are cultivating our children's hearts with with these with words is to prepare their hearts to be good soil for the seed of the gospel to fall there and they will be able to recognize it because they've been trained and influenced in how to recognize uh, God's goodness in, in all of its varieties, its ethical and aesthetical goodness. And so when he says if the seed uh, in good soil, it fell on an honest and good. Those are the two words for good. So that that heart was prepared. The, the stones had been removed. The, the soil had been tilled. All the, all the things that he's been talking about before this. And uh, so that idea of teaching our children to understand and to value, I think that's the best word, to value the goodness of God. I have a little per- private wondering if maybe the, the uh, I don't want to use big words, but the ontological center of God's being is his goodness, mm. that God is good. So when we, t- when we say God is good, we need to be careful not to just say it in terms of a worship song or, or evening prayer, you know, prayer over a meal, God is great, God is good. But this is a this is a an important idea that that I want we wanted our children to understand that that we are talking about a God who really is good, yeah. who is good in all of His being and all of His intentions for us. So we want to speak to them that way and help them understand things that happen to them or in the world is because God is a good God, and let's talk about that and and explore what that means. So um, yeah, so I, I think that. Goodness ideas, one of the transcendentals is really a kind of one I, I, uh, kind of resonate with. And I love too what you're saying about not only speaking that truth, but you're, you're embodying that truth, uh, through the way you're living, through the way you're communicating. Um, there's a verse, I think in Luke four, where it says the people marveled 
at the gracious words that came out of his mouth. Mm -hmm. Um, It wasn't simply that he spoke truth. It was how he said it that was different. The the Pharisees, they could speak truth. Uh, They they memorized scripture. Um, They knew the theology. But there's something about Jesus, the the sparkle in his eye, the smile on his Mm -hmm. face, the way he interacted with the world, the way he loved, the compassion that he embodied. Um, the way he forgave mm-hmm. and welcomed the sinner, the lost, the disenfranchised, the marginalized, the right. broken. Um, sharing truth in love, hmm. I think, is so important. And that's one of the things I definitely learned, again, what's reminded of in, in your first couple of chapters. Yeah, and I think it's important, too, what you're t- that uh, all the transcendentals are kind of uh, – abstract ideas mm-hmm. separated from something that makes them. And, and if we want to be Christocentric, we want to make Christ who we're talking about so that, that when we talk about that and we study him, they're seeing those things in a life. Mm-hmm. So it makes them objective, not just yeah. a kind of a subjective idea that we want them to understand. We want them to think about, well, Jesus was like this and we can read them a story and children are attenuated to story. They love story. They're, they're made to hear and enjoy stories. So we want to give them those stories so that they have those ideas in mind relating to Jesus, not just as propositional abstract truths, mm-hmm. but as objective real things because God became, and felt and yeah, God became a man and this yeah. is what it looks like. Yeah. One of the things that um, I always pictured was I, I would look at our kids and picture their heart as a treasure chest. And I thought, how can I fill that treasure chest with the most beautiful words and messages so that the rest of their lives, wherever they go, these words will speak to them. Words have a life beyond the moment. And, um, you know, we would help our children. We would do it as a game. We memorized poetry and um, passages from scripture. And we saw that as they got older, what they had retained in the treasure chest of their heart became even more meaningful. They, they would apply more sophisticated meaning to it. They would understand it more. And so um, one of our kids, we tell the story, but I won't go into it long, but uh, had moved to New York City and was in a very secular environment, tempted all the time. And he said, it was so funny because wherever I went, I heard the words that you all had told me. It sounded like Mama's voice, but I think it was God. <laughs> you know, just the idea that what He had stored up, Thy Word, have I hidden in my heart that I might not sin against Thee. But it really was something that our children said. We had a corpus of truth and beauty and goodness that has spoken to us everywhere we've gone the rest of our lives, which was very encouraging to see that it wasn't. You know, maybe kids are rolling their eyes at the dinner table or going, "Can we be through yet?" or you know, whatever. But that. The words that were planted in the good soil of their heart have reaped abundant fruit their whole lives. And, of course, now all of them are writers also. (laughs) And uh, we attribute some of their ability to write to the words that we stored up when they were little kids. I love that analogy, too, because I find that really encouraging. Uh, We can speak as parents into the life of our kids, and we often feel like we're scattering seed and the birds come and eat it up. I think the birds recommend represent TikTok probably in 2022. <laughs> um, but we wonder, we wonder as parents, uh, is this working? Can I put that on Twitter? Are, yeah. yeah. <laughs> um, but they are, right? It reminds me of that verse where... They're living and active. Yes, it's living and active. And for any listening here, maybe you have been discouraged um, because you have, you've been speaking life into your kids, but it doesn't seem to be bearing fruit. But there's this verse that says, don't grow weary in well-doing mm-hmm. uh, for in due season, we will reap. There's that garden analogy again, mm-hmm. if we don't lose heart um, for thousands of years, the Jewish people, they actually had a name for this. They called this the blessing. And it's one mm-hmm. of the things you unpack mm-hmm. in the book. Um, and this is found all throughout scripture where parents would very intentionally mm-hmm speak into the life of their children, involve the physical touch and involved, as you mentioned, really three components, affirmation, uh, confirmation, expectation. Mm-hmm. Uh, in fact, just yesterday I was reading uh, in the gospel of Luke, the story of Zachariah mm-hmm. and his son, John the Baptist. And he was so happy, you know, when he gets news of his son, 
um, that he writes a song. He just bursts into poetry. And historically, this has been known mm-hmm. as the, the Benedictus. Right. Um, Benedictus literally means bless. bless. Mm-hmm. Uh, and he, he just speaks blessing into the life of John the Baptist. You will be a prophet, he says, of mm-hmm. the Most High. Um, mm-hmm. You will prepare the way of the Lord. He says, you will give knowledge of salvation. And what's so fascinating about the Benedictus is that every single thing that Zechariah sings, uh, there's poetry, mm-hmm. uh, actually comes true in the life of John the Baptist. Yeah, yeah. Our words have far more impact oh, yes, and reach yeah. than we than we even realize. And it's not about just moralism. It is about vision. Yeah. As you're saying, you know, it's the narrating to them a beautiful possibility of who they might be. Kind of guides sometimes, outlines ways to think about, you know, am I affirming uh, who my child is? You know, uh, am I, am I, uh, uh, confirming what's going on in their lives. Am I stating an expect a positive expectation of like Sally was talking about earlier of, of who they are. So, and I, t- I just use that in the book to, to kind of structure a blessing mm. that you can give to your children. Mm. I think that's really actually worth pointing out again. Um, those definitions you give, uh, I think you use the acronym ACE, right? Right. Which makes it really easy. ACE affirmation. You're affirming your kids value in their in your family um the confirmation piece you're giving language mm-hmm. uh to help answer some of the questions that they have this is where we get into tell us what is our purpose right. why why am i here what's this all about you know, um you know it's identity which is a huge issue right oh, now with, so with big. emerging yeah. generation and then the third is you know expectation what we envision right. god doing in their life i think that's huge mm-hmm. um you know, we all think of that story of Esau who uh, had his blessings stolen. Mm-hmm. And there's that heartbreaking line, which I think in so many ways is the cry of the emerging generation uh, when he's seeking the blessing and he didn't have it. Mm-hmm. And he says, bless me also, my father. Bless mm-hmm. me also, my father. Mm-hmm. And in so many ways, we live in this moment. It's a generation of Esau's young right. people in particular they're seeking the blessing. Right. They're hungry for someone to pour into them. Oh, yeah. And the it's, tragedy is if we don't, yeah. who will? Yeah. <laughs> Culture well, will. It really dawned on me this year. I don't know why it took me so long, but that God placed babies who could not speak, could not live, could not talk, could not do anything apart from a parent. You know, he put these totally helpless children into our hands because he wanted us as the greatest work we would ever do to shape the destiny, the soul, the mind, the heart of a little human being. It's a gift from God. And um, we are the ones who actually have the responsibility, the stewardship of speaking and loving into their lives in such a way that they would be able to thrive the rest of their lives, totally dependent upon the parent whose hands they fall into. And um, that was with a purpose. He, he thought, I want them to understand uh, what it means to be a father, a mother, you know, what it means to shepherd human beings. So I'm going to give them this helpless child. Um, you know, people look at children as irritants and think, how oh, would this child ever sleep? And I look at it and I realize <laughs> lately it is what God designed to somehow shape us and to give us the privilege of shaping that other little human being that will, and it'll, the impact will last forever. Parenting is so hard. It's so hard. <laughs> I heard a comedian. If only they were perfect. <laughs> yeah, exactly. I heard a comedian once say that uh, parenting is like having a blender without a lid. <laughs> uh, what would you say to those parents who they're hearing what you're saying? They they see this opportunity that's mm-hmm. been set before them to pour into the life of their kids through affirmation through expectation through these this beautiful acronym you've given the blessing the call that we have Mm -hmm. as parents to embody the image of god uh, because he is a god who speaks to be an incarnational presence in their life but what would you say to the parent who is living in the mess right now (laughs) the blender's on and (laughs) it's flying everywhere and maybe they Maybe they just feel like, I failed in this area. Do you know, we all fail. Um, Clay and I were imperfect. We get angry. We don't mean to. We apologize. Um, But I think that the hope that I would give to anybody is that um, it's never too late 
to uh, children, whether they're two or 50, still long for the affirmation of their parents. And um, humility is not a very popular word in our culture, but for us to admit our fault, um, for us to say, I always loved you, but I may not have been very good about saying it. To ask for forgiveness, I think that I was just talking recently to somebody in my professional world, and they're 50 years old, and they said, I've never heard the word I love you from my parents, um, but it, it's never too late for me to hear it now. And um, it's a, it's hard if you've never done it. Uh, you know, sometimes it seems foreign to our brains, but I just feel like um, that those words of love are like oxygen to our hearts and souls. And just whether you write out a note, um, Whatever you can do to keep going with the love. I know teenagehood is really hard. Um, you know, the hormones are flying and children think they know more than you and they forget everything that you ever taught them. And, you know, there's this, there's this time when, when children do go from, um, youth to adulthood. And, um, as I look back now, it's funny because our adult kids say, you know, no matter what I did, when I got that, um, speeding ticket, when I, you know, got this when I did that, when I disappointed you, I always knew I could come home and that you would still love me. Mm. And, um, I think that it, we, I kept wanting to have more children so we could do it right, uh, someday because we didn't do everything right. We learned as we grew. I just never think it's too late to pass on to your child. I really do love you. You, I have great worth in my eyes. Mm. And, um, don't be discouraged. Love has a power that is beyond all of the things that we've done wrong. And um, I'm constantly amazed that our children still love us. <laughs> but um, we, we bribe them now. We send them money. <laughs> <laughs> and just to circle back uh, to where we kind of started, that whole the Shema the, uh, in Deuteronomy 6, you know, I think a lot of times, a lot of parents will say, will think, Wow, what, what am I supposed to do? I don't, you know, I don't know what to do with that. That was millennia ago. Does that still count? And I think for in answering your question, part of it, I mean, God was constantly going back to this, reminding the people of Israel of these things. So I think there's a part of, of these things too. It's just, we want to listen to God's reminder. I mean, God said in Deuteronomy 6, Deuteronomy 11, uh, he said it, he, went back to the uh, Shema in, in Psalm 78 uh, and reminded Israel again. Uh, Proverbs 1 through 7 contains lots of uh, reminders of kind of in, in intimations of, of the Shema. Jesus uh, brought it up again when he said, what's the greatest commandment? And then Paul, when in Ephesians 6, 1 through 4, he's reflecting the when he says, bring up your children in the training and instruction of the Lord. And the term for bringing up there is nurture them, feed, it's like trefo, feed your children. So I don't think there's ever a time, no matter where you've gone, that you can't take a step back and be reminded, oh, my role is simply to feed my children well. It's just like putting good food on the table. I'm going to put more spiritual food on the table of my home, no matter where I am with my children, I want to feed them. I want to feed their spirit now. And maybe you made a bunch of mistakes and things are different, but you can still set a spiritual table in your home and, and talk about and find the Lord's presence there and bring that renewing, uh, uh, life of Christ into their lives as well through your words as a parent. It never, it never stops. And it's never. Too late. Never, never, never. never. It yeah. wasn't too late for the thief on the cross. Mm. You know, uh, when Jesus spoke words of life to him. Mm. And, um, yeah, I think that, uh, and, and, you know, maybe we all still long for the love that we didn't hear from our yeah. parents, but. Oh, your dog's here. Oh, Puppy. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> we, we love our dogs as I well. I love it. We love it. We have a golden Do you have something to say? Oh, no. Yeah, I'm sure. <laughs> Darcy. It's a beautiful golden tree. We're named Darcy. Yeah. <laughs> Hi, Darcy. Uh, you know, Jesus was 30 as you were sharing that. It hit me. Jesus was 30 when he heard once again, those affirming words from his father. Yeah. You know, we mentioned John the Baptist earlier and 
John the Baptist had the opportunity to baptize the Messiah, which would be an amazing experience. And then within just a verse or two, you see the entire Trinity. The Spirit comes down, the Father speaks, and he says, you are my beloved son. In you, I am well pleased. What what, what an example, you know, for us. Yeah. And I always used to think, well, of course, you know, Jesus was perfect. He's the second member of the Trinity. Of course, he's going to say, I'm proud of you. I'm well pleased in you. Um, but here, here's the beautiful bit is that in Ephesians one, it says we are in the beloved. In other words, the way the father looks at his son is the same way he looks at us. Mm-hmm. In you, I'm well pleased. Mm-hmm. You're my beloved son. You're my beloved daughter. And we now as parents have the opportunity to speak those same words. And it can be simple, just simple words. I'm so proud of you. This is what I see in you. Uh, Affirming them in some way that like seed and soil, Mm -hmm. it sinks down into the contours, the soils of their life and eventually grows into something beautiful. I Mm -hmm. think that's probably, you know, one of the most beautiful ways to end. And I would just say, I'm sorry, that, um, one of the things we would do before our kids went to bed every night was to give them a blessing. Mm. I am grateful for you. Thank you, God, for giving me this child. Thank you for the design you have in their lives. And um, just that we all we all still long mm. to hear that blessing from our Father in the same way Jesus did. I wish I had thought of that. That's a great uh, passage about the words that a <laughs> Father gave. Mm. And, you know, we we live in a moment where most people probably grew up never hearing no. the life-giving words that their soul longs for. Mm-hmm. Um, maybe you're listening to this right now and all you heard was anger, criticism, mm. deafening silence even. Uh, maybe you're struggling with or coming to realize how words or lack of words maybe shaped you. Um, our, I think our lives are shaped by the voices we hear mm-hmm. and it's why they matter. But I think if there's one huge takeaway here, is that God's voice speaks louder than all the toxic voices. Even if our story has been carved by voices of hate or bitterness or judgment or gossip or indifference, um, our heavenly father utters, he, he thunders, uh, you belong. Mm-hmm. You know, he speaks identity. He speaks affirmation. You're mm-hmm. my son. You're my daughter. He speaks goodness. You're forgiven. He speaks complete compassion over mm-hmm. the broken, places of our heart. Uh, He speaks love and he says, you are mine. Uh, So I I hope wherever you guys are listening to this from, that these words uh, shared by Sally and Clay today have fed and inspired your soul as they have mine. And thank you. Uh, I feel like I could just sit at your feet and learn. There's so much wisdom here. And um, where can people find you guys how can they follow your ministry um yeah what'd be the best way for people to to be a part of this story that you're writing sweet to ask um everything me is sallyclarkson.com i have a podcast at home with sally um and i would just love to um to encourage people there and you can find out more about our whole ministry whole heart ministries at wholeheart.org and just about anything we're doing is there as well And we're, again, so excited for this new book, Giving Your Words, The Life-Giving Power of a Verbal Home for Family Faith.